This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 15, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. The fruitless raid in July on the home of Shai Calvo, the mayor of Berwyn Heights, Maryland, underscores just how poorly informed and gung-ho police can be when they get the authority to execute a no-knock raid. For Calvo, it was the police killing his two dogs and other devastation to his home and family. So what must police believe in order to decide that an ill-conceived raid like the one on Mayor Calvo can be executed without apology and without restitution? Bradley Balco, a senior editor at Reason Magazine, has chronicled hundreds of botched raids in his 2006 Cato Institute report, Overkill, the rise of paramilitary police raids in America. He spoke at a Cato policy forum on no-knock raids held last week. You can hear the full event at Cato.org. When these raids take place, there's a mandatory, well, when raids don't turn up what they're supposed to turn up or, uh, you know, people who are clearly innocent of any wrongdoing uh, have these raids executed in their homes, multiple levels of government have to fail in order to make that happen. I think that, well, I think you're right that multiple levels of government have to fail, but I also think that it's not... Uh, it's not something we should be surprised about. Uh, I think that I think that the very nature of drug policing uh, lends itself to mistakes because obviously in drug policing you don't have a victim, uh, and so you're relying, you're getting your information from drug informants, you're getting your information from other drug dealers, you're getting your information from undercover undercover cops, uh, and that information is is. Well, let's say it's not all that reliable, and so you're 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 conducting these very violent, uh, confrontational uh, raids, uh, dangerous raids, uh, based on uh, you know information that we know uh, isn't particularly reliable, and so you combine that then with um, you know the statistics-oriented nature of drug policing, where you know police get promoted based on how many arrests they get, they get more federal funding based on how many arrests they get. So you have the incentives are all wrong at every step of the way. I mean, you, you have the incentives to take shortcuts because if you, you get a tip about, you know, drugs being a big supply of drugs being in a house and you, you take too long to get the warrant, then, you know, the drugs may not be there. Uh, so every step of the way, you've got bad incentives. Uh, every step of the way, uh, you have uh, the fundamental problems of drug policing, and then you sort of culminate it all with these violent confrontational raids. And then, I mean, it's a recipe for disaster. And I don't think we, you know, we shouldn't be at all surprised when we see uh, incidents like ha- like like that, uh, which happened to uh, to Mayor Calvo. You detail some of the assumptions that must exist to believe that mm-hmm. these ends justify sure. these means. Well, it's not so much ends justify the means. I mean, what you have, the question we have to ask is how, um, how do we get, how do we get to the point where we can look at what happened to Mayor Calvo and the police chief can say, nothing went wrong here, that none of my officers didn't, officers did anything wrong. Uh, there's no policy that we need to be changed. It's a, it's a tragic event, and I'm sorry that Mayor Calvo's dogs are dead, but you know nobody's at fault here. How do we get to that point? And the point I was trying to make is we get to that point because of a number of assumptions that we have to make 
uh, in drug policy that sort of by themselves have a lot of public support and, and maybe sort of make sense on some level. But when you take them together and on top of one another, uh, we get to these very, very absurd results. And so, you know, the assumption, the beginning assumption is that it's legitimate for the government to protect us from ourselves, right? That the, the government uh, um, not only has the, should have the power, but has the obligation to to, to to protect us from hurting ourselves. In this case, it would be smoking marijuana or, or, or you know, ingesting cocaine somehow. Uh, you follow that up with, um, well, okay, so now we've made drugs illegal to protect people from themselves. Um, well, now we've got this huge criminal element, right? Because we pushed it all underground, and so now we have we have people, you know, fighting over uh, uh, turf and, you know, just like we had an alcohol prohibition. So now we say, well, okay, well, we have to fight this this war, this drug war, very aggressively. We have we have to declare war on drugs uh, because we have this this significant criminal element. Well, from there, then then the drug warriors sort of we say, well, the drug warriors are arming themselves, so we need to give the police overwhelming power, right? From there, we say, well, the police, uh, you know, people can dispose of these drugs really quickly, so we need to give the police the power to break down doors and get into houses as quickly as possible. Uh, well, then we say, well, because people involved in the drug trade are are by by very definition, criminals, since drugs are illegal, uh, we need to, you know, make sure we c- get control of a house as quickly as possible. So we need to use these overwhelming, uh, overwhelming, overwhelming force, these military tactics. We need to throw everybody in the ground, put guns to their heads, handcuff them. You know, if there's a pet in the way, we need to shoot it. Uh, you know, we need to get control of this place immediately. So we have to use overwhelming force because drug dealers are dangerous and we have to protect officers. Uh, you know, and then from there, you know, you say, well, okay, so the dogs got shot, but you know, what we're doing is very important. We're fighting very violent, dangerous people. Uh, and so you put sort of all these assumptions that kind of build off of one another and taking each step of the way makes sense to a lot of people. And you get to this really absurd conclusion, which is that, uh, you know, in Mayor Calvo's case, uh, the, yeah, we slaughtered his dogs and yeah, we made a mistake, but you know, nobody's really to blame and we're not going to change any policies. Or you get, you know, what we saw in Lima, Ohio, which is where they actually did bust a drug dealer. They got the right house, uh, but they, uh, one officer accidentally shot and killed uh, an innocent woman who was and shot the hand off of her one-year-old child. Uh, and the, and the argument there was, well, you know, it's regrettable and it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, the police have a job to do. We have to enforce the drug laws. Drug, drug dealers are dangerous. So we had to use this force. Um, Yes, the cop shot an innocent woman, but he was in these very perilous, scary circumstances. And you know who could blame him? Anybody else would have done the same thing. And all that sort of makes sense when you take when you take it step by step. But again, you have the end result, which is to prevent people from being high. The cops broke into a house and shot and killed an innocent woman and and shot the hand off her one year old child. And I mean, these are absurd results, and they they just don't make any sense. And I think we really sort of have to unpack how we got to those results. Uh, to understand uh, how things like this can happen and and why public officials can then turn around and say, uh, you know, not our fault and and nothing needs to change. What prevents more drug raids from being videotaped? That's a good question. Um, I've actually had police officers, uh, current active police officers who disagree with me on just about everything else. Uh, tell me they support the idea of videotaping these drug raids. Uh, I've had some that also don't like the idea. Um, but it would be very easy to do. Uh, you could get a, a, a small camera that you could pin to uh, each officer's helmet or to their uniform in a, a non-tamperable format. Uh, and what it would do is in these cases where 
you know, the police insist that they, they follow the knock and announcement rule, which is they, they knock and, and wait enough time for somebody to come to the door before they take the door down. The people raided say, no, they didn't wait. Uh, it would solve those disputes, right? Uh, it would also, I think, force police to uh, abide by the, the letter uh, of, of procedure. Um, it would prevent them from being able to, to uh, manipulate the facts afterward because, of course, there'd be videotape evidence. But I think it would also force them to, to actually do things right, you know, before things go wrong. Um, and the other thing I, I think it would do, and, and uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but um, I think it would show the public just how violent these raids really are. Uh, you can go to YouTube and, and, and find some uh, also uh, th- that have been videotaped, including like some SWAT exercises, training exercises. But, uh, you know, despite the fact that what we see on what, what you see on Dallas SWAT and what you see on cops, uh, the, you know, the TV shows that cover some of this stuff, most of the time in those cases, the police departments that the cameras are following have uh, veto power. They can they can uh, basically tell the tell the the, the company that they can't air or something that the cops don't want to be on TV. So you, so you see a very watered, sort of diluted version of what happens. I think if every one of these raids were videotaped, uh, whenever there was a mistake, you know, the videotape would make its way to the news. People would see it. Uh, it would solve all these disputes. I think it would help cops behave better. And I think it would also, you know, give the public a better taste of what really happens in them. So it's a great idea. Um, you asked why, why it hasn't happened. I, I really don't know, actually. Um, it, uh, I, I've never seen it really been kind of seriously discussed in a, a public forum. Um, um, you know, I, I think people sort of, maybe they have to go to their town councils and, and city councils and police departments and, and, and demand it. You cite videotaping as like a major reform. Detail a couple other reforms. So I think there are a number of things that we could do to, to at least kind of minimize the damage, rein in the abuses, and, and add some accountability to the process. Uh, the first thing I think we need to do is I think every sizable police department with any sort of budget needs to create a database where they track these warrants from the time they're, they're applied for to the time they're executed. And uh, the databases should have information like how the warrant was executed, whether, whether it a no-knock, whether it a knock and announce, um, you know, what tactics did the officer use, officers use inside, what was found, uh, how many drugs were found, how much, what quantity of drugs were found, what kind of drugs, what weapons were found, uh, and then what happened to the, the people? Were they prosecuted? You know, what kind of sentences did they get? Uh, and, of course, you know, these databases should also track every time the police make a mistake, that they raid the wrong home, an informant gives them a bad tip. And what this would do, it would do a number of things. First of all, it would um, it would give uh, us a way of measuring both the efficacy and uh, to sort of uh, judge the the worth of these tactics. Uh, we could so look and say, okay, so this town executed uh, 600 narcotics warrants last year. Uh, 48 of them turned up some sort of contraband. You know, is is this really an appropriate use of the SWAT team? What's what's wrong? You know, what's wrong in the process uh, that you know? 20% of their raids actually turned up contraband. Or we could look at it and say, okay, they did, you know, uh, 120 raids and they found contraband in 110, but, you know, 100 of those people only got uh, misdemeanor charges. Well, then we say, well, we're using these really violent confrontational tactics on people who are ultimately only getting convicted of misdemeanors. Is that an appropriate use of resources? We could look and see how many times police didn't find any drugs at all. You know, what's wrong with that? Uh, the other thing it would do is I think it, it would... Uh, it would improve the informant system. Uh, 
if you know informants would be identified by numbers, of course, you don't want them to make their names public. Uh, but if the same uh, identi- same informant continually gives bad tips to the police that lead to wrong door raids, uh, we got to stop using that informant. Now, a lot of police departments do track this internally, uh, but we're still seeing a lot of mistakes with informants. Um, I think judges should have access to this, these databases. So when an officer comes and says, comes to a judge and, and wants a no-knock warrant, the officer can look in the data. A judge can look in the database, look at other warrants that officer has applied for. Uh, you know, and if the judge sees that this officer in the last year has, uh, you know, executed five warrants that didn't turn up any drugs at all, she's going to give a lot more scrutiny to that affidavit that he's filing to get the warrant. Uh, so I think this the the idea of databases would solve uh, or at least help uh, with a lot of problems uh, and rein in a lot of these abuses that a lot of, uh, add a lot of uh, transparency and accountability to the entire process. And the other really big reform I think that we we need to try to make that probably won't ever happen uh, is we need to strip police officers of qualified immunity. Um, over and over again in these cases, we see somebody getting killed, an innocent person getting killed, or an innocent family getting raided. And in order to comp- get compensated uh, for damages, the family has to prove that the officer not only violated their civil rights, but that the officer knew he violated their civil rights. In other words, uh, he had to, they have to sort of show some sort of malice. The officer intentionally went out. To, and that's a very, very high hurdle to clear. And even in cases where you know, clearly something went wrong, clearly an officer made a terrible mistake in judgment or, or relied on an informant that he shouldn't have uh, – People aren't able to recoup damages, uh, and I think if we added uh, more liability to police officers, they should have, they shouldn't have more liability than the average person has, but they sure, certainly shouldn't have less. Uh, given that you know police officers have the power to use lethal force, uh, they have the power to, to detain people. Uh, they should at least have the same liability that you know any other Joe Schmo has, and these uh, particularly you know given the circumstances. Uh, so I think uh, we need to strip police officers of qualified immunity in, in federal civil rights cases. And then I, I also think that uh, in in these kinds of cases, I think cities uh, and counties, governments basically need to be stripped of sovereign immunity. Uh, if a city is endorsing or, or enforcing uh, policies that are routinely re- leading to wrongdoer raids, uh, you know, the best way to get reform is to get lots of people suing. Uh, so all of a sudden the city is looking at, uh, you know, having to pay out a lot of settlements uh, maybe their municipal insurer says you need to, in, you know, introduce some reforms quickly and change these policies, or we're not going to insure you anymore. I mean, that has actually been the few cities I've seen that have actually introduced real change and real reform uh, to how they use their SWAT teams were cities that were successfully sued, uh, and it's basically because it hit them in the pocketbook. Uh, you know, they're not going to to take on the police. They're not going to risk. The politicians aren't going to risk looking soft on crime by reining in the use of SWAT teams. Uh, but, you know, when they're, they're threatened uh, with the budget uh, and they're, they're paying out a lot of money in settlements, that seems to, to be what, uh, what spurs some change. Radley Balco is a senior editor at Reason Magazine and author of the 2006 Cato Report, Overkill, the rise of paramilitary police raids in America. You can listen to the full forum on no-knock raids at Cato.org. <laughs>